Hello and welcome back to BizPod. On today's episode, we will be talking about growing to the occasion, and for us, that means stop motion. We'll be talking a little bit about how we developed our process and what we've learned. Enjoy! Yeah, so I don't know about yourself, Louise. I feel like the stop motion jobs that we have done have been like so intrinsic and just like prominent on our social medias. It's just like one of our favorite projects that we've done in the recent memory. So it's really wonderful that we've got this time to chat about it on the podcast, as well as just the idea of, you know, growing to the occasion. Yeah, it was a really interesting developmental step for us because neither of us had done it before. Um, We had a lecturer who was pretty expert in stop motion, but had never taught us. You know, we had someone to go to um, if we needed the help. And, and we just sort of took took the inspiration and ran with it really um and it they the the collection of little stop motion pieces now has become some of our most recognizable work which is really interesting yeah so i think how it all originally came about is we'd done one job at this point slash two films one client two films and you know that had been brilliant we'd been working together it's like okay that went well let's start looking at some other jobs and you had the the wonderful idea of approaching uh this lecturer and be like you know i know you would have a need for some films uh would you like any hand would you like to have a chat and they're super up for it we we had a wee chat and we're we're slowly you know we weren't quite off to the races but there were some ideas floating around at that point well well it is interesting because i know that uh, you know, being one of our lecturers, I think I think we should give a little more context. So it was when we were at uni that we first got these jobs, um, and and yeah, I knew he had a shop, or him and his wife had a shop, and so there was like a well, you know, you know how hard we work. We're really interested in making something. Is there possibly a need? I I approached him with, is there? Would you have a need? Because of course they'd have a need, and they were like, yeah. Well, what would you want to do? And it was like, what would we want to do? Mm. Um, because though we had done some collaboration, this was like we're properly being NACA Media and our brand and, and what we're going to do. Do you know what I mean? What do we want to do? And somehow, uh, I think because it links in with their social media, they had an artist dummy as sort of part of their arty creative motifs that we were like, how could we use that? And then, well, naturally stop motion came up. I personally am a huge stop motion fan, always, you know, have always watched the Aardman films as I grew up. Um, and I mean, other other sort of puppetry and stop motion work has been really core in like my filmography and learning. So I've always had this real deep interest in it. Um, and you have the much more technical side as always. Um, it was trying to figure out how how to cut down the frames and so how many seconds did we need and how much movement and and all that was a little bit difficult but when we were like you know what we could do this we were kind of already halfway there we met up for like a tea and coffee for north berwick which of course is lovely because it's north berwick and you know we've dotted out a whole bunch of ideas we learned more about what the their store was about their passions how they've been running it uh how long and you know basically a lot of their story made made a little wee a document just full of a whole bunch of ideas that we were going to just go off and workshop on and you know there's a lot of stuff in there that we 
possibly could have just done a day or a couple of days. Uh, but I think the, the idea of doing something animated just felt right. Because obviously, you know, we'd seen the social media stuff going out. And it just, you know, had a lot of charm and character. And it was a little bit more ambitious. Um, so it was after one of our classes, we literally just sat outside, you know, at a table. And, you know, we were working through stuff because uh, we were working on some future projects uh, as well. And, you know, we had an artist dummy. And we literally did a just test there. There was people moving in the background. The lighting was changing because it's Scotland and there's clouds moving every five seconds. But we made this proof of concept in like an hour or two. And it looked really good. We were chuffed with that. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those things where I think especially with when using new technologies, there are so many variables that you just, you know, you only learn through doing. And so we had this space because, you know, it... The process of movement, snap, movement, snap, it just infinitely takes more time than the actual clip that you'll get. So we had figured out how many shots we needed to get one second clip of how many frames a second, that kind of thing. What was the movement we wanted? We did a really quick, um, I filmed me physically, I did some clips, cut down the frames on that to match what we would want, and then I was mimicking my own movements onto this artist dummy. So we're already sort of okay, okay, and this step, and this step. So there's a lot, a lot of things could have gone wrong. And then we made this, I think it was just one second, right? Or maybe one and a half seconds? Yeah, somewhere around that. It was um, possibly like 15, 20 frames, um, yeah. which we ended up deciding to go for 20, uh, 12 frames per second. As I, I think that's about standard for animation. And we did want it to actually look animated. So it uh, came out nicely. Yeah. Didn't want it to look too smooth. And we showed it we showed it to them, the the pair of them, and they were sort of taken aback. Um wow, look at what you did. And to be fair, it's very uh it's very rough. Because <laughs> you're right, the background moving and lighting and stuff, but I think there is something in that kind of raw creativity. Uh, and this is what's amazing about I think us working together, is that we can kind of just do stuff. Um, because we've both got so much elements covered together. Um, and so, yeah, where did we go from there? Yeah, so, you know, that was, was great. And um, I think we, we all kind of agreed at that point and we kind of put the, the projects with them on hold for a wee bit as we had to really hunker down and focus on uh, the big final fourth year projects. Mm. Um, but then, you know, we went off, we started Nakamedia. Uh, and I think where things turned is we got in a light box to do some product photography. And as part of that, let's grab that artist dummy, chuck it in. And then, you know, a whole new world of possibilities were opened up and we got back to work and, uh, you know, reached back out to uh, the store, Rock and Bird. And um, we kind of got things going again. Yeah. So we agreed to do these three little short films. Um because I think there's an understanding that one, you know, 15 second clip by itself, you know, it, it can be a powerful thing. But I think in this case wouldn't hold a lot of weight. Mm. So we agreed to do these three 15 second little clips um, that sort of overall would have... Uh, little snippets taken out of it for other social medias that would have the thumbnails added that would be fully presentable that would be multiple formats so it's easier to put everywhere all of that kind of stuff um and that they would kind of be seasonal so the original plan was a uh, october film a christmas film and then an easter film 
to sort of take you through the year. Um, understandably, the shop was not open for Easter, so that has since changed to a reopening film. But a lot of the spring imagery is already in there. Um, and it 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 is really interesting how each time we've made one, it's gotten better. And we're in the process of making this last one now. So it's almost it's almost a review overall, um, but we really are getting quite good at this. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that was so incredibly wonderful about these projects is, you know, with that initial project, you know, there was a degree of we're taking a bit of a leap here. Um, you know, we had this concept, which admittedly, even with its flaws, looked fairly fantastic. But, you know, we went ahead and we made a leap and I think you know, us, with us pulling together some more uh, crafted cinematography, lighting, uh, mm-hmm. a narrative, and uh, especially sound design, which has ended up being a surprising component of the, the process, it kind of just came out and was like, wow, we made such a big leap, uh, and it came out a lot uh, larger in scope than what we'd started with. And then with yeah. the subsequent films, there has been a trust. It's like, oh, if you are making a, a leap, you know, go for it, because we've kind of proven ourselves and I think with the subsequent films we've done it each time we've kind of done something a little bit different a little bit more ambitious and we're building a a good skill set for ourselves now yeah well even just things like understanding how long each step of the process will take that we get faster but also we get better um that's something that I'll have to go back into practice because we're a little we're a little out of practice with some of those bits but there are definitely you're right. <coughs> it's it's a certain set of certain set of skills um to create these kind of projects because they are kind of unique in ways, but also it's that ability to learn that's something that you and me are really good at is we have this ability to kind of learn and, and on the go and do better as we're going. Um, so I think we can talk a little bit about the reception of the, the first one first, because I think that probably took us the longest or will take us the longest. Um, it was sort of done kind of a month and a half almost, sort of little bitty. And then the December one was a month and now we're going to do this next one in three weeks. Um, so it's kind of, do you know what I mean? We're, we're, we're refining the process every time and sort of getting slightly better. But that first one, we really wanted to take our time because I think, I mean, as I've said, there's lots of variables, but you want to give yourself the space to be able to make mistakes. So for a lot of the shoots, we gave ourselves an extra hour or we gave ourselves, I mean, extra batteries, extra SD cards. Let's do this take again just to make sure, you know, it's better having two good takes than one bad take um, or three good good takes and a bad take you know uh, rather than four bad takes or whatever yeah so uh in terms of the actual filmmaking process we really slowed down our usual quick style to really accommodate for the need to learn on the job yeah and you know it's kind of amazing where we kind of started with this very robust uh process for going through and ingesting and uh, processing this all and over time we slowly condensed it and uh, refined the process um which it's interesting you know a lot of stuff is just you know sh- go shoot and then edit mm-hmm. uh, this has a, a very structured process and i think let, let's let go back a little bit to that first film because that was 
you know, we're figuring out that process. So, you know, I think we originally started is that the start of the process, obviously, would sit down um, with uh, the client and, you know, figure out the, the kind of story, what we're wanting to, to propose, what it's going to be about. We went off and we would go off and make some beats, uh, structuring and accommodating roughly with about 15 seconds of animation, maybe mm. 20 to 30 seconds of kind of extra stuff on the edges, uh, whether that can be cinematic of, you know, the store or the town or of objects, uh, stuff that didn't require us going frame by frame. And uh, then we got to the animatic process, which is transformed over time. Yeah, um, there's kind of a need for it and not a need as we we had to do it at first to know that we could do it. I think sometimes, I think sometimes uh, not every project needs every step. So not every project exactly needs a storyboard. Not every project always needs super clear beats. You might just need something simple. Not every animation needs an animatic but I think especially if you're doing a new type of process we really had to start from the beginning so yeah animatic is where you take very simple frames but in inverted commas animate it together so you place them together in a video format so that you can see things move um you know pictures essentially or very simple drawings put together and you would have arrows and directions and that kind of thing so we created that more for us to mm -hmm. know what we're doing, though it was really interesting to um, Rock and Bird to kind of see the process, I think. Um, they're both very encouraging, so so they were like, sort of, wow, this looks great. Um, and, and even from that, it was having to work out, again, how long will this take us to make? That was sort of something that came up at every step. How long will the storyboard take? Because how much do we need to storyboard, you know, especially the movements. We weren't familiar with how the artist dummy moved at first um, because it's very much fixed to a post. So even things like turning, turning their body moves in a very, not unnatural way, but in a very specific way. And so I think that original storyboard that we have isn't quite doable almost in every way so that was then something in the animatic okay right how do we address that what do we actually want it to do what's the idea that we're going for here rather than fitting this exact storyboard yeah and that that's something that's always been uh interesting is as we went along further with these films um you know stuff like the doing animatics you know there were stuff we learned in there of you know how the artist dummy moves and what we can and can't do that later on in the process with the subsequent films we've been able to refine so you know now yeah. doing the storyboard there's a couple bits where it's like you know uh, in this newest one that um, i'm sure will be possibly out by the time you're you're watching uh, or listening to this podcast where the dummy uh broderick interacts with their face but you can't actually touch the dummy's hands <laughs> to their face so that is us yeah. you know using momentum like we did in our christmas film where then whip away uh wipe away the tear where it's uh not momentum the kind of perspective uh to kind of uh, warp things and you know changing camera angles to you know hide the fat and uh make it look like they are able to touch their face but um mm. following kind of doing that uh we did reference photography which we did for the kind of proof of concept and this first film but it's been something that we got rid of over time as you became we did better we animating. did do it for the second one 
Um, but yeah, we definitely needed the reference photography. So it ended up being me. Um, because I knew I I am the one who animate I am the one who animates um, and Anton does the much more technical side on the camera because you've got a brilliant app that connects to your you know you've got your phone that connects <laughs> to the camera you're like so set up for being able to take lots of shots um, and so I do that animation that's also something I love and I'm really interested in and so we used we from took from the storyboard. <laughs> So from the storyboard, we figured out what movements we wanted the artist dummy project to do. Um, I then recreated them. Uh, Partly we had to do some shots in my flat. Partly we had to do some shots on green screen room. Um, You know, it was a kind of a big of a mix, a big mix because we needed them to be as clear as possible. So we filmed in the normal 24, 25 frames and then basically cut that in half <laughs> um, so that we had each individual frame. And then with those, I would be given them at the side of the light box where we were animating the dummy and basically animate them step by step. We should also say at this point, we had decided that we would only be doing reference filming in the location itself. And then the artist dummy was all entirely filmed in a light box that then got superimposed onto the footage. Indeed. And so n- not only do you have to edit all the frames together, you've also got to cut it all out and put it all together. So you're doing amazing, Anton. Oh, I thank you. So yeah, uh, once you know the storyboard was complete um, and animatics and stuff, you know, shot lists were completed. Uh, this was both for the animation side of the project, so that would have its own shot list of stuff that would need to be done and uh, kind of a rough guide of how many frames each of the shots would be. And then uh, there would be one for the location filming, what we'll get to in a mm. second, and uh, eventually in post-production, it was all stitched together. But uh, the light box was really a game changer for us as it you know, allowed us you know, to do a little bit of filming in the store, which that was one of the, the fears of the early stuff was, you know, can we get in the store for you know five, six hours? Most likely not. A little no. bit easier than now during lockdown, admittedly. But uh, when the store was all up and running, um, especially pre-COVID, it was uh, not feasible. So this was a, a great workaround yeah. and gave us just, uh, um, you know, far more uh, leeway. You know, lighting doesn't change. You know, the wind doesn't move something slightly, especially if there's so much paper and, you know, things that move very lightly. Um, the light box was we- a real game changer. We should say as well, because the first short was a Halloween one, it was set at night. So there was also partly the, it only gets dark at, you know, 6pm. If we need five hours. We missed the last train. (laughs) Yeah, we've missed the last train. It's like one in the morning. So there was like, there was a very practical element to, we've got to find another space in a different way to animate this. Um, Rather than rather than the necessity of the wow we'd have so much flexibility that very much came as a exciting bonus um i think you can say and yeah overall has been a little bit difficult matching the color and lighting you and i have had to have a lot of thinks about okay if this is at this direction and the sun is here and a man is holding a candle at the other side of the room and the moon is adjacent to the side. You know, <laughs> the angles have been a little bit tricky, um, especially on the one that I storyboarded. I went a little bit ham. Um, but 
it gave us the flexibility to be able to um, have full control over the dummy and the lighting in the space and also um, be able to <clears throat> be able to film in a space where we can be comfortable for like five six hours absolutely and uh, you know we we had the you know reference photography this was all done at the 12 frames per second and then usually from this point we would go off and do i believe we would actually do the location film has been location yeah. film has done been done more often uh, before the actual final well, filming so we do the location filming first so that we can get the actual perfect angles of which the final film will be at because um, a lot of the time, if you're superimposing stuff onto a background, if you can't see its feet, it doesn't really matter. But um, we have a lot of he turns one side and is facing sort of something or looks to the other side <clears throat> and is facing something else. So spatial geography, even from that first one, has played a really key part because it's about advertising the shop and the shop kind of is a character in itself. So you have to do those angles first so that then when we're in the light box, we know exactly what angle to put the dummy at so that he, so that if there's a front on shot, he's facing straight. And if we cut to a side shot, he's then on the right angle. Yes. And, uh, you know, once we're, we're on location, uh, it's very much going back and forth between the storyboard and uh, the mm. kind of setting and just being like, what's the best uh, we can do here? We'll uh, traditionally place the artist dummy in the spot where we want them, get it looking how we want. We'll take a reference of the artist dummy in that position, both so we know how he looks and um, if we see the the base of the of Broderick, um, we can then take the contact shadows of where that's touching the surface and then add that into the final one with the super composited one so it just looks natural. Uh, and amongst other things, occasionally there has been some shots when later on in the filming process uh, and uh, post-production where we've had to add additional shadows if there's been a particularly harsh light on the surface where what I can literally do is within of an office shoot the artist dummy from where the light would be you know let's say it's a top-down shot of the artist dummy and then let's say uh, make that super dark blur it slightly uh, count give it a slight bit of um opacity and blending and then you can add that underneath all of that to kind of give a, a lovely natural shadow and i think lighting and shadow has been the real make or break of making things mm. look realistic in this process yeah mostly because it is it is detached um and so if you don't tell people they don't necessarily know <coughs> sorry oh, no worries <coughs> this but the minute <laughs> But the minute they're aware of it, you can sort of start to see bits. And especially because you've got to cut out the dummy. And we, we've had quite dramatic lighting because it's been nighttime. The last two were at night. Um, we've had to kind of think very carefully about that because because it's important to the process and it's important to how it looks. Um, so once we've done that location filming which again, we get lighting references um, and we're very careful about, we move on to that big sort of t tends to be five hour slot of filming. Mm. Um, we basically did, it does come from our original test, so we do end up being faster, but we figured out how long it took to get a couple frames. And then basically we did how many frames do we need? How long does equipment set up and take down, take, 
um, how long will that shoot take? And so overall, that gives us our time slot. We have to find a space which is COVID safe for us to be in that for that long, um, especially when working with or without masks. We want to make sure we're super safe. So we we then do all of that filming that, again, it's a lot of because you've already got the footage of the space. We can double check on the camera as we're shooting. Um, we match it up with the body shots that we've already done so that not only is Broderick moving in a way that is physically understandable, that a person can move, it is also fluid motion. So especially things like speed is really difficult to capture in stop motion because there is, there's no motion. Yeah. <laughs> um, and understanding the speed that you need to go for the frames that you're doing is really tricky. Um, and so the first few times we had to do a, a couple different takes because the, just the speed wasn't right. It just didn't look right or I would do it too fast or something was up. Um, and there's not much else to say, bar it's a really tedious process. And usually by the end of those five hours, we are far more tired than we would be on a normal five hour shoot mm. because every second of shooting counts and we are being hyper-focused and, and having to really sort of pay attention to what we're doing rather than, oh, it's a five minutes where I'm grabbing coffee or I'm having a casual chat or, okay, are we ready? Let's go. It is no. From the from the moment we have that time in that space, we have to be kind of focused and clear. Yeah, and uh, live this first uh, film, the Halloween one. Uh, one thing that we did do, which was unique for this one, is we did have a storyboard that had the, you know, the blank shot, uh, you know, the, the drawn one that was part of the story, the blank, this is what the backdrop looks like, and then this is what the reference photography with the dummy in that space looks like. Uh, so at that point, it is a lot of, you know, very tedious, you know, having to both physically, uh, you know, maneuver and get things into position and just, you know, moving it a little and then the springs in them move a little bit more than they should. Yeah. Um, you know, going back between the... Uh, reference videography you know 12 frames per second uh, figuring out how quickly to move and just really honing it in but overall you know at that point we're into the post-production world uh, we've got all the footage um you know it's a case of going in there removing the background from the light box photography um you know everything's kind of lined up put in its place um and then from there the background and the artist dummy broderick can be color graded at their own leisure um you know sometimes there has been some tomfoolery of you know i think in that first film the, f the hardest shot was us knocking over a set of pencils with us not in the frame <laughs> so yeah it was the angle that we were at um and we had to sort of set up the props of the shop and it was yeah it was that a spooky ghost knocks over the pencils but of course it doesn't so not only do we have to figure out how to knock over spooky pencils it was like quite a close shot as well so there was no way that we could do fishing wire or any of those standard tricks so i tried just knocking it over my hands were always in the shot which as well kind of was a bit deceptive because it changes scale if you've got a giant human hand and it, it just looked bizarre um and then so we sort of tried jabbing it with a pencil and then that was very clearly obvious. <laughs> so the final shot that we've got is like a little bit cropped and I think is a snap zoom. Um, you know, it's a little bit like, oh, don't look. <laughs> um, but yeah, bizarrely, because as well, that wasn't even cut down frames. That was real time. That took the longest. 
um yeah you know there's some wiggly lines um but mm. yeah you know i think you know, going through the post-production processes um we had you know all the clips were in place and it was a part that you know really brought together was you know getting the framing right um you know we had the ability to just really you know tighten up the, the composition because it you know the subject and the background were slightly uh well not slightly completely separate um and you know getting the sound in there really kind of made it feel alive and give the you know the character some character and um you know we delivered that film well on time and with four clips to go along with it and you know i think i speak for both of us is it came out fantastic yeah we're incredibly proud of that one i would like to touch just a little bit more on the sound design um since we're going into in-depth talking about this we might as well right so uh sound design is something that's really important generally for filmmaking it's so often underused and ignored but particularly when it comes to animation um as there is no real world sound you know everything must be added and created um you can the whole point of a good sort of soundscape is that you either don't notice it you're not thinking about it or when you do it's that it's really important and it needs to be there so you know not only do we have sort of seasonal related music kind of going over the whole short itself because it's only 15 seconds right it doesn't need to be that much but uh, things like the creaks of his joints were really important to put in there. Um, you know, there is no sound of someone turning their head, right? But that was really important to get a swoosh in there when he was quickly flipping his head back and forward. Things like being scared, boings, yes. noises. It, it had to be cartoony because it's animation. But I think the whole point that cartoon animation has these specific sounds is because they add so much to the the diegetic and non-diegetic world that just you wouldn't imagine if you're not used to doing animation so it was kind of I think I had a couple sound requests that I had was asked you to put in and then you had also come back with these are ones I've already put in or that I thought were needed um, and sort of together built up that soundscape i know then for then the december film the next one that we did um i happened to do the the beats and storyboard for that one the uh the not the script but it was very clear about some of the sounds that we absolutely have to have in here because not only is it really important in invoking christmas but it's really important in making the world um not spooky <laughs> because a lot of the cartoony sounds are kind of spooky scary so that then is a shift in tone, almost a different skill set in terms of changing something. Okay, we learned how to make a really spooky, cutesy animation. Now we've kind of got to reset it. Yeah, and you know, I think the the thing is, is sound design is so easily something that can be neglected. You know, you get your film in, and you know, wow, it's got free sound design built in. But for this, all of the process had nothing. And you know, if you do a little bit of sound design somewhere you know, a door opening or, you know, uh, you know, a creaky arm or whatever it would be. It, it then makes other places look empty by comparison. Mm -hmm. Not really a problem you'd have in traditional filmmaking uh, as much. So, you know, you had to really go in there and tighten up all of the areas. And, you know, it allowed you to, you know, draw focus to what is really important. So, you know, when in the second film, which we'll slowly get onto, um, 
where we have the door swinging open. You know, there's a lot of things going on in that frame. The arch dummy's throwing their arms up, but you know, the main thing is is wind and snow is coming through the store. So you know, you can draw emphasis to certain parts of the filmmaking process, and you know, it becomes a, a story uh, a storytelling skill. Uh, which has mm. been something that we've really honed in and capitalized in our later films. Yeah, so I think we'll we'll finish up with that first film because you know we have done all the same process for the other films, so we can kind of go through start to finish. Um, once we've done that final edit that you and me are happy with, it goes a lot between us because there are always bits that the other one can spot um, in whatever work we do. We, we think quite similarly and quite differently. It's it's an odd situation. So there's often bits that getting that second opinion on will really work. And so we end up with a bronze draft that then goes to the client. Um, they then get three drafts mainly to kind of put things back together. Usually it's, a, oh, we want subtitles as well now. Or, oh, can you pick up this? Or, oh, that name changed. Something like that. It's never major kind of construction differences at that point. Um, and then once they, once we have all agreed on that final film, um, that then is sort of labeled complete and we, we send them over that package. Um, it, it is interesting that I would say the pre-production, production and post-production all, all take about the same amount of time. Yeah. You know, this is a, a fairly compacted production cycle. It's, you know, it isn't like we're, you know, we're sending up somebody off to the Isle of Man. They're going to get a bunch of footage, and then we see how we get on. Uh, yeah. Or we we spent six months, you know, making a script and a storyboard. You know, production is how it happens. But with this film uh, and the stuff we've done here, everything has always interlinked. You know, everything in pre-production has a very direct thought and process of how this is going to end up in the post-productive uh, phase, and. You know, when you're in the post-productive phase, you know, that is so dependent of the good planning that we've done before. And yeah. the, the production kind of blends a little bit of both because unlike so many other pieces of filming where, of course, we are thinking about how we're editing this, you know, we're on set, you know, especially the biggest stunt of the second film was having uh, Broderick jump. You know, that was a very <laughs> active thing of if yeah. we have this here, we can key it out. If we don't, we can't. Yeah, it was it was a bit of a risky move. So by the time we had done that first film, everyone was enchanted and it was lovely. And so for the next one, we were like, right, how can we up our game? How can we make it better? What can we do? And notoriously with stop motion jumping, because they're not actually jumping, um, is one of those hardest things. And so we were like, let's do it. Um, <clears throat> and again, we're on like a shoestring budget or a very small budget. We don't have the expense to go and get all of these custom but as well Broderick isn't designed for stop motion so there's all these kind of technical issues in terms of there is specialist equipment out there but either we can't get it or it does not apply in this circumstance um, and you had a gorilla tripod which was strong enough to support one little wooden artist dummy um, and it's things like seeing the base of his little stand that he's on was so important. Um, I was doing a lot of learning with animation of how do you how do you do a jump with something that doesn't have knees um, and, and things like that, uh, which again you wouldn't necessarily think of until you see something jump in a wrong way. The idea was you've got to not be thinking about it. Um, 
And I think that was the main challenge for that one. Oh, though, finding music. That's another element that you and I <laughs> slightly disagree on, I think, because music and tone is such a specific element. Yeah. Um, that it's a real nightmare to find exact specific music. So there was a couple elements like that for the second film, this Christmassy one, where, you know, things like aesthetic and bokeh and lighting suddenly so much more in our favour than with the spooky Halloween dark film. Um, but tone and style and look were then shifted. So again, right, new skills, new ideas, new ways of storytelling. It's no longer spooky suspense. Um, it's anticipation and excitement, which um, are also done very differently. Yeah, and I, I think what's interesting is obviously these are very much in some <coughs> ways a short film. And as you know, students, former students and uh, young yeah. filmmakers you don't usually do sequels. That's not really something that happens. Um, <laughs> That's true, it is a sequel. So, you know, that first film was very much like, here's the story we're telling, you know, there's a ghost going around that gets spooked. Uh, come come down to the store. Whereas now with the second film, you know, totally, completely different. And it was fun and interesting where we try and pick the elements that, you know, are the motifs. So, you know, getting the sounds of how... Uh, Broderick moves you know that was stuff that kind of became set in stone of okay you hear his springs a lot he's very creaky he's got wood on yeah. wood on springs that is you know it's the sound of the character and who he is and uh, how they move uh, whereas you know swapping out the the tone and aesthetic um, you know them being scared is a, a lot different from them just being sad um, you know a lot of things change there yeah. and how we communicate that to the the audience adapts and um you know whereas that first film tonally it was like a weird a weird fine line because it wasn't to be scary it definitely wasn't scary yeah but child friendly spooky. <laughs> yeah spooky is an interesting one because there's got to be which you know it's really interesting that in terms of just i'm diverting a little bit in terms of filmographies and and should i say um how well read we are in films I am a huge film consumer and have seen a lot of films. Um, generally, a vast amount of films. You, not so much. But what you have consumed is horror. You're, you're really into your horror genre. So when making that first animation, it was really leaning into your favour of you know a lot of spooky horror tropes. Um, but it's kind of horror light is what spooky yeah. is. Um but then, yeah, when it came to Christmas, there was a lot of ideas and imagery that you weren't necessarily inherently familiar with, which we had then sort of had to to work through that. Because you're right, we don't want it to be too creepy and spooky. We don't want it to be too sad. Um, but also, you have to inject those emotions because the dummy doesn't have a face. Um, you know, and, and there are no sounds and it is a blank empty shop at night. Yeah, which, you know, it's kind of been amazing where I think with these films, we've always leaned into what we've been able to do best. So, you know, with that first one, you know, there was a, an understanding of the genre and how to do it in a, you know, Scooby-Doo mystery incorporated light way. Um, and, you know, it just came up nice with the second film, lighting and environment and, you know, the just the kind of atmosphere came across very well. It suited you know, Christmas suits a nice cold uh, winter evening. Uh, and, you know, with the next one, uh, the Easter 
slash welcome back advert, which uh, I'm sure hopefully will be up on the website by the time you're listening to this podcast. Mm. Um, you know, inherently one of the issues we face in the post-production productive process is the light box is a completely white void very bright and we've historically been putting them in very dark locations which causes uh, some challenges and some perseverance to make him feel like he's in a dark space so with this next film you know we're really leaning into they're in a bright uh, vibrant warm space uh, which is going to be very exciting but even just in that, things like direction of lighting, if there's a big top-down light, what does that mean? If there's a light on the side, what does that mean? So yeah, we've got some lovely natural light this time, which I'm very excited for. Equally, it's again another tone. There's sort of reopening, reimagining, reawakening, which I think is it's going to be an interesting one because... It's different imagery, isn't it? It's different storytelling. And yeah, now we can say we've made a trilogy of films after this. Ah, yes. Um, it is It is quite funny that as we're going through this process, because we're going to be doing a lot of... Uh, I'm doing pre-production this afternoon and then we're doing some shooting tomorrow. My mind is just going through all these things that we need. Um, so maybe, you know what, good timing to do this right now. Um, but yeah, we, we are both so so proud of the work that we've done um, and if you want to see as point of recording the first two are on our website um, and available on the Rock and Bird social media which is always good to check them out on the clients platform um, and similarly yes by the time you're hearing this then you should be able to have that third one uh, on there too and we're happy for any feedback you've got because it's it's a really interesting thing that I don't think you know, anyone at our stage would have the opportunity to do paid work like this because because it is it's it's commissioned work that we are able to have full creative control over, um, which is so rare, um, but it allows us not only to do our best but to challenge ourselves and to learn and and to just do incredible stuff. So, you know, if you have a business. If you if you are a business and you have a business and and you're interested in possibly hiring some young people, not only are we available, but giving young people the chance to be able to do these creative projects, um, you can only make you know brilliant, creative, new, and exciting work out of it. Yeah, and you know I think creating spaces for allowing people to take those leaps is just incredibly important because you know there is a thousand and one videos we could have produced. Uh, you know, with that time and with that sort of sort of budget that we had for those films, but I think what we ended up going and doing, you know, admittedly it was a bit of a leap and we had a bit of a, a proof of concept, but what we did uh, far exceeded, I think, even our own expectations uh, and the client's expectations. So, you know, obviously, you know, you you know the people you're chatting to, um, and you you know if that's a, the right decision for you to take that leap. Uh, but you know it's going to be really exciting so if you have any feedback do give us a shout because I, I know I think I don't think this is going to be our last time doing stop motion animation I think we'll be squeezing oh, it in no. as many places as we can because it was a lot of fun I've, I've got the bug now I want to be I want to be an animator Anton. <laughs> um, I want to make movies no uh, but that, that was the thing and I think you know, when I look back at my inspirations, you know, and even just the history of Ardman themselves, that it started with one man and a vision and an idea and, and my gosh, like nearly 10 years to make the film. Um, 
that initial short um and gosh i can absolutely see why um that we're only making 15 seconds max and and we have so much greater farther better technology than than he had access to so there's some really incredible things that we have made there's some really interesting and fun and exciting stuff that i would like us to kind of keep working and trying out um and in the end, you know, if you're thinking about doing stop motion or even if you've, you're working on a project and you've got the opportunity to do something wider, greater, look at what you're interested in, look at what you can do. Because I think me having a near obsessive passion with stop motion before going into it helped us in a lot of different ways because there was information that I just knew by consuming a lot of the content and watching loads of behind the scenes, um, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas has some incredible behind the scenes work on it because it was kind of the first of its type um, and people documented that and there is so much to learn from that so if you have an interest in an area go to these places where where these ideas started and learn and document and take it on board because you can only you know you can only get better there is no you can't learn something and it makes you worse you know absolutely and yeah as we've mentioned if you do want to check out some of those previous films do check out rock and bird on instagram and alternatively obviously it's all on our wonderful website nakamedia.co.uk and we are on social media i believe you know one or two of them we are indeed. We are on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter, all at Nakamedia LLP. And if you'd like to send us a wee email, that would be info at nakamedia.co.uk. And, of course, if you're enjoying this podcast and you've made it this far, so hoping you are, uh, do chop, pop us a, a little wee review on Apple Podcasts and you know, let us know what you think of the show. Um, we'd love to have your feedback. It really helps us out. And, boosts us up the, the charts a little which it's a crowded world out there louise <laughs> absolutely everyone has their business slash stop motion specific podcasts out there we <laughs> just haven't hit the niche yet but thank you very much for uh but thank you very much for listening today and we will catch you soon bye for now Au revoir.